we have back uh, another speaker who's been here before. He is uh, Pastor Matt McGrew. He's an associate pastor at Heritage Bible Church in Lincoln. So let's welcome back Pastor Matt. All right, good morning. Good to be back with you again. I am at uh, Heritage Bible Church. I'm a pastor of discipleship and uh, men's ministry there. I'm also a church planner for Heritage Bible Church, so we're planting a, another church in uh, Lincoln next year. And uh, so if anybody's coming to Lincoln for college, feel free to look us up at Heritage Bible Church. We'd love to have you be a, a part of us. <clears throat> you guys are uh, in the Gospel of Mark, and that's great. Mark is, is fun because it's kind of a rapid-fire, uh, high-speed gospel, right? High-speed narrative. And, and the goal is to show that Jesus is the Messiah, that he has power, that he has authority, and that he is, in fact, the Son of God. And so you got a lot of great content that you've been able to, to see already and that's coming up in the Gospel of Mark. One of the ways that we see Mark's fast-moving narrative uh, style is that he uses the word immediately a lot, right? In fact, we're going to see the word immediately, I think, four times in our, in our passage this morning. And, and our goal as we study the life of Jesus should be to learn more about Jesus, right? That seems kind of obvious. That's pretty simple, right? We want to learn more about the person and the work of Jesus. That is, who he is and what he does. But the goal is not just to get information, okay? This is something we have to remember, and especially as we you know, or if, we, if we're raised in the church and we're raised in Christian school and all these kind of things, uh, it's not about information dump. Sometimes I think we, we kind of go to church and we just like, okay, like a zombie, you know, just like open up my head, scoop in some knowledge, go back home, right? But the goal as we study the life of Christ, as we study the gospel of Mark, is to fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ, to be amazed by him. And even as sometimes we read stories that maybe we've heard a million times or we've known since childhood, to be amazed by Jesus Christ. And you've already seen fantastic things in the Gospel of Mark about Christ. Let me, let me tell you, just leading up to our passage for this morning, what we've already seen in the Gospel of Mark. John the Baptist preaches about Jesus and says that Jesus is so mighty that John isn't even worthy to tie Jesus' shoes or sandals, right? Uh, Jesus is baptized and he ends up being publicly commended by the voice of God, God the Father, talking about Christ being his son. The Holy Spirit descends on him. He goes to the wilderness to be tempted directly by Satan, but he never sins. Angels come and serve him. He calls men to follow him, and guess what? They do. People are amazed by Jesus' teaching. He's casting out demons this is an incredible man, an incredible figure. He is the God-man. Jesus is the, the miracle-working Messiah in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, the Gospel of Mark contains more miracles than any other gospel. And in this gospel, Jesus exercises authority over nature and uh, natural and supernatural enemies. He heals the sick. He casts out demons. He even raises the dead. He controls the forces of nature, and he calms storms, and he feeds thousands of people with a few loaves and fishes. And the purpose of these miracles is not for Jesus to get a better following, to get you know, more uh, followers on Instagram or TikTok or whatever the, the platform was of the day, right? It's not just about amassing crowds. 
It's about demonstrating that when he speaks, when he proclaims the message that God has given him to proclaim, he's speaking with the authority of God. And the miracles are just to, to back that up, to make that evident to everyone. And so we come to Mark chapter 1, and look at me at Mark chapter 1, verses 29 to 31 first. It says, and immediately, after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. Well, there's that word already, immediately, right? Jesus is a man on a mission. He's a man of action. So as soon as they leave the synagogue, Jesus and, and four of his disciples go to Simon Peter and Andrew's house. And this is kind of like their hangout place when they're in Capernaum, right? You guys have like the hangout house. Like some of you like that. Yeah, that's my house. Like my house is the hangout house. That's where everybody comes. Usually because your mother has a well-stocked refrigerator, right? That's, that's how you become the hangout house. Or you've got the, the ping pong table or the biggest, you know, big screen, whatever it is. Okay, well, this is the hangout house. And when they get there, they're immediately told that Simon's mother-in-law was sick. And she's burning up with fever. And what do we see? We see the same compassionate response from Jesus that we see constantly throughout the gospel. Jesus does exactly what we would want him to do. Jesus does exactly what we would expect him to do. He goes to this woman's bedside. He takes her hand. He lifts her up into a, you know, a, a seated position, a standing position, and, and boom, just like that. I mean, it's just over. It's gone. The, the fever leaves, and she's better. She's completely healed. And one of the things you want to notice anytime Jesus heals someone in the New Testament, especially as you're going through the Gospel of Mark and, and you're going to see this kind of recurring theme of Jesus' awesome healings, Jesus heals completely. It's not like their mother said, uh, I think I'm starting to feel better. Maybe a few more days in bed, you know, maybe a little more rest, you know, I think I'll, I think I'll be good to go. She is completely healed instantaneously. Not only that, but what does, she, what does she start doing? This is what some of your mothers would do, right? She begins to host them. She just jumps up immediately. She's making sandwiches, you know. She's taking care of everybody. She's serving them, showing them hospitality, just like she normally would for her guests. She is better, completely better, completely healed. And listen, don't be immune to having awe at the miracles of Christ. Again, like we, because we've grown up with this, because we, maybe we hear this all the time, we're like, yeah, okay, like, right. Jesus heals people. Jesus walks on water. You know, Jesus, you know, casts out demons. These are incredible feats that Jesus Christ is doing. The things that we're going to see in our passage this morning, the things that you're going to see throughout the book of Mark, these are not fabricated stories. These are not fairy tales. These are not, you know, this is not a, a comic book hero that we're talking about. These are real-life events. And one of the things I get concerned about sometimes as we raise our children is just kind of the way we present Bible stories, right? I mean, it's, you know, kind of cartoonish-looking books, and we have, like, our Bible story books right next to our other fairy tales and, you know, stories about princesses, and, you know, you know we watch, we're watching Veggie Tales, and then we're watching whatever other cartoons are watching. It all just kind of comes together. 
Not only that, but we watch VeggieTales, and then we get confused about, like, they, why were they throwing slushies off of the wall and, you know, all these, all these other weird details. And then the kids are reading the Bible. They're like, where's the verse where they throw the slushies? Like, oh, that's not in there, right? So we got to be careful that we don't fall into this trap or this mindset that these are stories. This is history. This is, this is something that actually happened. This is a real person. And so you put yourself into the text. You put yourself into the narrative, and you think, if I was there, if I saw this, what would I be thinking? What would I be feeling? And more importantly, what would I be believing about Jesus and who this man is? And remember, the purpose of Jesus' miracles was to prove that his remarkable claims about himself were true. Jesus has already said some, some kind of crazy things, and he's getting ready to say more about who he is and where he came from and, and what he's about to do. And if you ever wonder if Jesus really made these outrageous claims about himself, just notice how the Pharisees respond to him. Jesus will make a claim about himself, and they pick up rocks, and they're plotting, and they're figuring out how to kill this guy because they think he's a blasphemer. There's no question about the claims that Christ is making for himself. And, and, and really, when we look at the Gospels, even the Gospel of Mark, with all of its miracles, this is just a highlight reel. John talks about, like, if we tried to tell you everything that Jesus did, all the books in the world would not contain it. Like, Jesus was so busy. He's doing so many miracles. He's saying so many amazing things. Like, this is just like the, the fringes of what Christ was doing. Now look at verses 32 to 34. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Okay, so now this is the, this is the point at which... Uh, in the Greek, it's on like Donkey Kong, okay? This is, this is like, we're, we're going hardcore now. They're still in Capernaum, okay? And that evening after the sun sets, which means that the people waited until the Sabbath day was over, okay? And so as the Sabbath fades away, the people are coming to Christ, and they're bringing Jesus, basically all the sick people in town. And that word bringing literally means carrying, so we're not necessarily just talking about like people with a little sniffle, you know, uh, Jesus, I have seasonal allergies and, you know, my flonase is not really helping. I don't know if there's anything. You can... I mean, these are people like in bad shape and they're carrying them to Christ. Okay. Which made me think as I was, as I was going through this, do you have a friend that would carry you to Christ if you were sick? <laughs> like, like who's the friend, you know, they are like, all right, like you're the one that I would depend on. Maybe it's like a teacher, you know, you're the favorite teacher. Like, they would carry you to Jesus if you really needed it, you know. If, if Jesus came to town, we'd just get the football team together, right, and we'd be like, all right, everybody go find a sick person, take them to Jesus' house, and uh, then, you know, they can, they can walk back. They'll be fine once Jesus gets a hold of them. And notice it's not just, verse 24, not just the sick people, but who else? It's also the demon-possessed. So maybe like your little brother would be needing to go. See, do you, anybody have a little brother they think might be demon-possessed? You know, just like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It could be. I've had, I have a two-year-old, and I'm starting to wonder, you know, the, the way she acts, uh, very possessive about her toys. So look, it says, The news about him spread throughout all Syria, 
And they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases. And, and, and we're talking about, you know, people with pains and demoniacs and epileptics and paralytics. And, and Jesus is healing them all. And Jesus is helping so many people. And so many people are coming to see him that basically the entire town is there. Crowding around Peter and Andrew's house. It's a good thing their mom got better. She's, now she's really having to take care of people. And then Jesus says, all these people are coming to him. All these people are crowding in. And Jesus says, come on, people, give me a break. I'm not going to heal everyone in town. Oh, no, that's not what Jesus says. Uh, again, what do we see? We see Jesus characterized by love, characterized by compassion. My translation says that Jesus healed many, but that's probably really a Hebrew idiom, meaning all who were brought. Not everybody's sick, not everybody's coming, but everybody that comes, Jesus heals. And basically what we're seeing here is Jesus hard at work. Jesus' compassion, again, on display. It's good to think about the life of Christ and how Christ exhausted himself serving people. I've heard theologians say that there probably was hardly a sick person anywhere around Jerusalem by the time Jesus was done with his public ministry. He's constantly teaching. He's constantly discipling. He's constantly healing and doing these works. And it's good for us to think about Christ as our example and to examine our own life. Is your life characterized by diligence? Is it characterized by hard work? Are you working hard at the tasks and the responsibilities that God has given you so that you can glorify him? Are you seeking to do things with excellence? I was just talking to some college students about this the other day, and I was explaining to them that the thing that I really wished someone had told me freshman year of college is that you can't separate your education, your schoolwork, from your worship of God. I was busy in the church. I was serving God. I was teaching Sunday school classes, all this stuff, and I was failing miserably at school. Because to me, school was just kind of a little bit of a waste of time. Whenever I was in class, I was thinking about how much money I could make if I was at work, right? Or thinking about my other, other pursuits or things that I would rather be doing. I never made a connection and said, you know, God wants me to do well. God wants me to pursue excellence. My studies could be done for the glory of God. Even the classes that I'm not particularly excited about, I could do as an act of worship to God. And once I grew up a little bit, it helps when you get some kids and a family and some bills. You go back to college, and it made all the difference in the world. My GPA would show you that, okay? To go from basically flunking out of college to graduating with honors simply because of a, a change in mindset. That I want to do everything that I can to honor the Lord with what he's given me. The Bible says a lot about the evil of slothfulness or laziness, right? I love the fact that the Bible uses the word slothfulness for laziness, because do you guys know what a sloth is? Have you ever seen a sloth? I did a report about the sloth in sixth grade. I could have brought it. If I could find it, I'd bring it and read it to you. One of the things I found out about the sloth is that sloths are so lazy, and they move so little that moss grows on their backs, right? Some of you have moss. Just check your Check around, check your neighbors. <laughs> Anybody lazy enough, you got a little moss growing, just clean that off for them so nobody notices. 
right? This level of laziness is what we're talking about when we talk about slothfulness. So Christ is our example. We want to be hard workers. We want to be diligent. We want to be men and women on a mission, just as Christ was on a mission. Not only that, but we're seeing the compassion of Christ. So here's another question. Is your life characterized by compassion? What would others say about you in this area? Would other people describe you as gentle, kind, a compassionate person? This is an area that can be a special struggle during your teen years, right? Probably every single adult in this room can think of words that they spoke when they were teenagers that they wish they hadn't spoke, people that they could go back and, and apologize to, right? It's so important for us to be men and women of God who are kind and loving and compassionate. And, and I'm glad, you know, that, you know, for you guys being at a Christian school, you guys don't have to worry about anyone you know, who would be unkind or bully anyone or gossip or lie about anyone or, or just try to tear other people down to improve their social status. I'm, I'm glad that that kind of thing doesn't exist in a, in a Christian school. I've been in a few Christian schools, so, so I know a little bit better than that. And this is an area that the Lord's been convicting me in lately, just the whole area of compassion. I'm, uh, I, I just started doing a 13-week a, a series of parenting class for uh, our church. So if I'm going to get up and talk about parenting to all these other parents, i got to kind of evaluate my own parenting, right, and kind of check back on it again, right? Uh, I have 10 children, so I need lots of extra compassion and prayer and patience. Most of them are out of the house. So I'm left with teenagers, right? Last year I had five teenage boys in my house. I had a nephew that was living with us, and then he moved out, and I graduated two seniors, and so now I only have two teenage boys in the house, so I'm, it's, it's going to be a little bit easier. Uh, we also are getting ready to finalize an adoption of a two-year-old. I also happen to have a granddaughter that's two, so I'm going to have a daughter that's the same age as my granddaughter, which is really weird. And my wife is like, we can't do this. We can't adopt when we're this age because we're going to be the old parents. You know when you go to like kindergarten roundup and there's like, you know, all these young parents and then there's like parents with gray hair and you're like, how did they get in? So she's like, we can't do it. We're going to be the old parents. I said, yeah, but we'll still be the cool parents. We'll be the old parents, but we'll still be like the coolest parents. So it's fine. Don't even worry about it. We, we got this. But I've noticed something in my parenting since we got this little girl in our house. She was two days old, like five pounds when they dropped her off at our doorstep. She immediately took over my heart. We we're just trying to do foster care. First rule, if you're going to do foster care, don't get too attached. I'm really bad at the first rule, okay? <laughs> I'm like immediately, like day one, I'm like, we're adopting. That's it. Let's go, right? So now she's two years old. I got this little girl. She's got my heart. If she falls down, if she gets hurt, if she cries in the middle of the night, especially if she says, Daddy, I jump up and I go running and I'm comforting and loving and, and you know, whatever, like whatever she needs. My teenage boys, <laughs> I'm like, get out of here. You mowed the lawn wrong. Why are you doing this? Why did you get this grade? You know, and I'm just kind of hard on them and, and rough on them. And I'm seeing in myself like, okay, I need, I need a little more compassion. I need a little more patience. I need the same kind of like loving encouragement that I have for my sweet little girl for my teenage sons. And so just think about this. In what area? Maybe it's at home with your parents, just showing a little more love, a little more respect. Maybe it's that older or younger sibling that's about to drive you nuts. Maybe it's somebody at, at school. It certainly wouldn't be your teachers because I know you love all of them equally and they're amazing and they never annoy you or bother you in any way. 
But just think about being a man, being a woman of compassion, just like Christ is. Look in verse 34 again. He healed the sick. He also cast out many demons. And one thing to understand is that in the time of, of, of Christ on earth, or in Christ's lifetime, there was a very heightened uh, time of demonic activity. Why? Well, because Satan and his minions are in full force. Why? Because they're trying to thwart the plan of God. They're trying to stop the Messiah. They're trying to lead people astray. They're trying to take people away from following Jesus. How did that work out for them? <laughs> Not so well. In fact, the, the fact that there's all this heightened demonic activity just served to further the purposes of Christ because Christ is showing his power and his authority over the demons. He's casting them out. He's free, setting the captives free. Right? This just gives Jesus extra opportunities to show his power and authority. And notice that just like he did in verses 23 to 26 of chapter 1, Jesus silenced the demons from speaking. So first of all, that's cool because that's the kind of power that he has over them. He can literally just make them not talk. But also, he does this because Christ isn't ready for everyone to know completely the full revelation of who he is and his ministry and, and what he's going to do. Christ has a timeline, a, a plan for revealing all of this. He also has a plan to use better messengers than a bunch of demons, right? So I think that's kind of why Christ does this. Well, as you can imagine, the miracles that Jesus does increase his popularity like crazy. And again, Jesus wasn't doing miracles to impress people. He's doing it to authenticate his message, but he certainly makes an impression on people along the way. Mark chapter 1, verse 15 says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the message that Jesus Christ has. This is the message that the miracles are intended to undergird, to lift up, is the message of Jesus Christ to repent and to turn to him for salvation. There's no more important message that we could give you than that. Jesus is claiming to be the long prophesied, promised Messiah. And even more than that, he's claiming to be equal with God the Father. The deity of Christ is prominent in the Gospels. That Christ is saying, I am God Come to save my people. Come to save my creation. Come to save the world. And I hope you understand this absolutely fundamental, essential doctrine of the deity of Christ. I've taught at a couple of different Christian schools over the years, and, and one of the schools I was teaching in was associated with the, the church that I also pastored in. And so I had a lot of the kids that were in my theology classes were also in my youth group. So I had to apologize to them all the time. I'm like, you come on Sunday, and I teach you. And you come on Monday, and I teach you. And Tuesday, and I teach you. You come on Wednesday, I teach you at school. And then I teach you at youth group. They were just getting a lot of Matt McGrew, right? One day as I was lecturing, I kind of had a habit. I'd take my tablet, and i kind of walk around the room and lecture. And we're talking theology. And we're talking about the doctrine of Christ, Christology, and the deity of Christ. And as I'm talking and kind of explaining this, a girl kind of raises her hand. And she says, okay, so like, is Jesus God? <laughs> I'm like, yes. Like, part of me like, yes, I, I see the light bulb over your head. Teachers, is that the best thing about teaching, right? Is the light bulb, oh, somebody understood 
Number one, just somebody was listening to me. Number two, somebody like understood what I was saying and learned something today. It's an incredible feeling as a teacher. So I had that feeling, but at the same time, I had this other feeling that here is a student who grew up in the church, who grew up her entire life at Christian school, who is a senior, and who just now said, so like, is Jesus God? Is <laughs> just now realizing this. It's so important for us to understand who Jesus Christ is. Again, the person and work of Christ. His essential nature and being, the fact that he is worthy and due our worship, and also that he took on human flesh, became a man, and came to earth to experience death for us so that our sins could be forgiven. What an incredible message we have in the Gospels. So as we talk about the miracles of Christ, the miracles, again, are not an end in themselves. They're pointing to him. They're adding proof to his claims concerning himself, his claims about being the Messiah, his claims about being God himself. And of course, the greatest miracle that Jesus did, the miracle with the most dramatic force, the one that really showed who he was, is what? What do you say is Jesus' greatest miracle of all miracles? The one that really vindicates Jesus Christ, that shows that he actually has the power that he says he has. That is, that he has power over sin and power over death is his own resurrection. Jesus Christ coming back from the dead. And so Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says, Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Incredible thing to think about what Christ accomplished. Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 39 then. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. We see some more insight into Jesus and his character. I have often said that if, just if, don't brand me a heretic, but if I were allowed to take a verse or a set of verses out of the Bible, you know, use my black Sharpie as a, as a highlighter, it would be the references to Jesus getting up early in the morning. That's just because I don't like to get up early in the morning. Like, I like to hit snooze like multiple times. I like to stay up late. And so if Jesus is supposed to be my example, and I keep seeing he got up early in the morning and went and prayed, I get a little bit convicted by that, right? Well, here it is. Jesus getting up early in the morning before daybreak, so probably like 4 a.m., he's getting up. Why? Because he wants time with his Father. He wants communion and fellowship and prayer. This is how important it is to him. And so he goes to a solitary place and he gives us this pattern of consistent prayer and fellowship with the Father. And so we don't say, I'm too busy for devotions, I'm too busy for prayer, we make time. Because whatever you care about most, you make a priority and you make time for those things. Very quickly, verses 40 to 45. A leper came to Jesus beseeching him, falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
Verse 41, moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. So here's a man with leprosy, this horrible, disfiguring disease that ravages your body and makes you ritually unclean, and you become a social outcast. And this man comes to Christ, and he has this incredible approach. He doesn't presume on Jesus like, Jesus, heal me. He says, if you're willing, if you're willing, if it's, if it's God's will, heal me. But he also doesn't doubt Jesus' ability. He says, you can do it. You can make me clean. He knows the power that Christ has. And so here we are again. Some translations say, moved by pity or having deep pity or compassion. Jesus touches the untouchable. He cures the incurable. This is an incredible picture of Christ because it's a combination of compassion and power. And Jesus speaks with authority. He just says, be clean, and the man is healed. Again, immediate, complete, total healing. That's the kind of miracle that Jesus Christ is capable of. Jesus actually does this, uh, this thing se- several times in the Gospels where he tells the person that he heals not to tell anyone. And again, it's just because Jesus has his own timeline, his own time frame, his own way in which he wants things to be revealed. But this guy and some of the others that he tells also don't, don't listen to him. He just goes, he's so excited. I mean, how could you keep something like this quiet? I can't hardly blame the guy. He just goes and starts telling everyone. And, and so people are coming. They're following Jesus. And, and it, and it kind of becomes almost like a People like coming like a circus, like, hurry, hurry, come and see the next miracle. And people are following Jesus just for the miracles, just for the healings, just for the the free food that he's giving out. But so many of them are missing the message of who Jesus Christ is. It's the most important thing we can understand. The person and work of Christ, the message of Jesus Christ, that he has the ability to save and to forgive us of our sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the awesome person of Jesus Christ, your son, the awesome life, and the fact that we have our own personal copies of your eternal word that give us a record of his life. Father, we weren't able to be there to see it. We will see Christ face to face someday. But we have these Bibles that contain the awesome truth of history, his story, and we praise you for it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, as you go to small groups, I'm going to give you a question that I want you to talk about, okay? First of all, what miracles did Jesus do at the outset of his ministry, and what do they indicate? What do they, what do they prove about him, okay? That's the first thing. What do the, what do the miracles of Jesus Christ say about who he is? What do they prove about who he is? Secondly, how is Christ showing himself as an example for us? We talked about a couple of things, right? We talked about being a hard worker, being diligent. We talked about his compassion. We talked about his prayer life, his willingness to get up early in the morning to to commune and fellowship with God. 
So how is Christ our example and how are we doing kind of in those areas? All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.